Hey, folks, welcome back to the Field Cross Arrival podcast. I'm your host, Mike Glover. I'm doing my Kevin Owens accent. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is Kevin, and I'm sitting down with Sean Kirkwood today. Sean Kirkwood here again. He refuses to call me co-host, but I am the co-host. <laughs> You're not there yet, man. Keep 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 plugging away. You'll get Selection's there. an ongoing process. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about leadership and one of the traits of leadership in the military. Not traits. One of the things we learned very, very early on as leaders in the military is to give what we call commander's intent, right? A broad-based description of the end state and let the boys go do what the boys do because good leaders don't micromanage every process. They give broad-based, like I said, uh, guidance. They give the end state and they say, all right, boom, accomplish the mission. So um, this is, uh, I assume this is stuff, I mean, you, you've dealt with this your whole career, right? Yeah. When you're working at the Camp's career course, I'm sure this came up a lot because it's a big officer They spend thing. a lot of time talking about mission command, yeah. you know, how how command is established, how people execute their command, you know, mission orders. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot that people don't think because they'll watch, you know, movies on TV about mm -hmm. how people are standing on the back of a running C-130 making their, their infill plan. <laughs> you know, I love you know, that. It's like, no, that's not it. really how but it you know, happens. You know what we did do in Iraq? We um, we hit targets and we got intel to the target. We did do on the hood of the, of the vehicle. We're like, okay, here's what we're doing. We're going here, here, here. But a lot of that is standard operating procedure, right? It just yeah, and it was, But it was still deliberate. It was. I mean, you still took time. It, mm -hmm. You had to post security or whatever you had to do. You mm -hmm. took time and you said, okay, we're going to spend yeah. however amount of time. Yeah, I love, I, love, I love that in the movies. They got their oxygen mask on in the plane and are, yeah. they're giving the order. Yeah. Uh, you know. So when like, you hit the drop zone, <laughs> kill the first machine gun nest. Wait, wait a minute. Shouldn't we have rehearsed this or something? <laughs> I awesome. love it. It's, it's awesome. awesome. It's entertaining, right? It is. So uh, yeah, let's talk about commander's intent. Yeah, commander's intent to me is like, I remember uh, when I was in the infantry, you know, we would spend hours and hours when I was a young guy, we'd spend hours and hours and hours going through this, you know, mission planning and operations orders and warning orders. And it's all good stuff. But a lot of times at the end of the day, you never really understood like, okay, what's my boss, whoever that is, what's he consider or she consider the success for this mission? Mm -hmm. What is your intent? What am I trying to do here? Like you, you boil it down to your specific part. If I'm a machine gunner, my, my job is to, you know, spill lead into as many people as I can see, but what's the overall purpose of that? What, what does my part in this mission play to reach the commander's intent with what they need out of me on the ground? Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of time that's lacking. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times it's very good. But you got to remember, uh, commander's intent or leader's intent or uh, you know supervisor's intent, whatever you want to call it, it's just a clear and concise way for you to tell the people that you work with. Um, whatever you're doing, whether it's moving boxes or loading a U-Haul truck or, or, you know, doing the, you know, bin Laden raid. Mm-hmm. What does success look like for me? I'm in charge mm -hmm. for whatever reason. This is what I think success looks like. Mm -hmm. And these are the desired results that I want to have at the end of whatever we're doing. I, I remember hearing years ago that soldiers work best when they understand why they're doing something. And I think that goes across the board yeah. for every employee and every company out there, yeah. right? They under, they, if they understand what success looks like and what's expected of them. And aren't you supposed to, you're supposed to know the mission two up and one down or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you're at a, at a platoon level, you're supposed to know the company mission and the battalion mission. Yeah. And then you're supposed to know, like the platoons aren't supposed to know the squad individual missions for that that objective, yeah. right? But uh, yeah. Um, wh why did officers spend so much time learning this stuff? I think it just gives them a framework to think about a lot of different 
problems, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, a mission, whatever it is, whether it's the invasion of a country or, or a small operation, like a, a hit on one house. Um, there's a lot of moving parts that go on with that. And I think the planning process, just teaching officers and NCOs. I mean, when I came in, they, the NCOs, we didn't really spend a lot of time on this unless you went to ranger school. Mm. I mean, and then it was only an operations order. But now they're profession developing non-commissioned officers to where they're, they understand this the planning process a lot better. But I think when an officer comes in, they, they, they need to understand that there's a huge framework that they're working within and that whatever mission they plan and operation they're involved in, it's supporting something else. It's enabling something else. It's 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 doing this to the enemy, or it's doing this to to whatever our goals are from a bigger strategic uh, position. If you're a platoon leader, you're not really into strategic talks. Nobody's mm-hmm. nobody's the sec def isn't calling a platoon leader in mm-hmm. the 82nd Airborne and going, "Hey, what do you think about the strategic imp- implications mm-hmm. of this?" But you are part of that strategic plan. So I think when officers who are primarily responsible for planning and mil- planning military operations, when they understand that they are part of a bigger process. You can take that that same process and boil it down to your smallest level, and it makes you it makes you think through all the details of that operation uh, better mm-hmm. than if you didn't have a process. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk specifics. <clears throat> let's talk about the invasion of Iraq, yep. which, which you were on. I read like I, three books about it. I it was, was on the Q it course. Was, it I was so mad. I was yeah. so angry, man. I never got to do an invasion. You were faking. You were just hanging out, waiting. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Owens, you can go to the invasion. Nah, man. I, I got I got, a, I got an appointment next week. I got my oil <laughs> I got, change in my I car. I call. I got the black lung. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk about yeah. the overall planning without getting into specifics, yeah. obviously. But let's talk about the overall planning and kind of gauge towards commander's intent for the invasion of Iraq. Yeah, the big the big thing with plan, there was a huge strategic so plan. You were in, I'm sorry, you were in 5th Group at the time? I was, I was fifth, fifth Special Forces I was in 5th Group. This was your area of operations? Yes. You guys were desert warriors, pretty much. Pretty much. We pretty <laughs> much owned the desert. I mean, that, that's pretty much what it was. Anybody in 5th Group, the Legion out there knows we own the but desert. But you were geared up for it, right? You had desert mobility vehicles more than yeah. anybody else, I think, yeah. at that well, time. Well, we had to make a rapid change because I was in a uh, dismounted company. We basically, the company I had, mm. Charlie Company above us, had they had... I was in Bravo Company, First Battalion, Fifth Special Forces yeah. Group, and Charlie Company was the mounted company. This was mm. like this was the September tenth kind of mindset. This do that well in the desert. And then, That's yeah, a big but then area. they said, "Hey, by the way, we're about to go invade a desert type country." Yeah. And uh, so, guess what, Bravo Company, you're now a mobility company. So we spent six months just basically becoming a mobility company. Oh, you had that much lead up, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, mm. we we had about six months before we deployed to do a train mm. up before the invasion. Okay, so, we, so you we, started writing on the wall after nine eleven. Yeah, they so, were, yeah. everything kind of ceased, and they were like, "Hey, man, you're going to do this now, and mm-hmm. then you're going to go to." to Jordan for mm. three months and just do training for three months. And then you're going to invade a country. And that's pretty much what we did. Mm. But, you know, the good thing on that was, you know, even down back to back to intent is our group had a plan, mm-hmm. boil it down, had the necessary resources. I got these three companies that can do these things. Well, this one company, I need them to do this. My, mm. my vision of success is for this company to go into the Western desert of Iraq and make sure no scud missiles get launched toward Israel mm-hmm. or any other countries. That's our, that's my intent. So my, my, my definition of success, my intent for Bravo Company 1st Battalion 5th Group is to go to this sector mm-hmm. in the western end of Iraq and make sure no scuds get launched. Mm. That's success for me. Yeah. So I knew going in, even as a, even as a, a guy in a turret of a 50 cal, that that was my job. That was my main purpose. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to do other things, but if nothing else happens and a scud does, and we check out these areas and a scud doesn't get launched, 
in our commander's eyes, we have reached success right. because that's what he needs us to do here. Mm -hmm. So it was boiled down that simple for us. Well, it had to be that far out too because they didn't really know specifics no. of how things were going to unfold, right? Yeah. But having a broad-based plan like that yeah. allows you to take assumptions on a lot of things, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we fought the last yeah, war. Yeah, we were like, we need vehicles. Let's yeah. let's not be walking through the desert yes. looking for scud missiles. Yeah, first, thing, first things first, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, we're not yeah. going to do the, you know, the the Bravo 2-0, or what's that, Bravo 2-0? Yeah. They, they, they oh got hemmed God. up yeah. walking 12K a night yeah. and with water cans. Yeah. We, we were like, yeah. nope, let's ride. Yep, yeah. But, you know, it, it worked out really well. And uh, the good thing about that was because there was a lot of unknown um, we had really, we had good commander's intent. We had good mission statement, mm -hmm. but everything else was kind of, nobody really knew. Yeah. Because again, we, everybody thinks now from 20 years later that, oh, we're used to going to war. We invaded Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. We invaded Iraq. I, I tell you back then, mm. that wasn't a, a thing that people were just used no, to doing. No. I mean, there wasn't people. And there were that, actually, when you say it, you already said it. Scott Mitchell, they were walking off the desert storm model, exactly. right? They were like, okay, let's not have this happen again. Let's figure out a way to get in there yeah. earlier. And yeah. Well, and also the unit that did that, the last war decided that it was a little bit boring. So they kicked it off on, on us yeah. that time. So yeah. actually yeah. the last, during the, the initial, our first desert mm -hmm. storm, um, you know, Delta Force did that mission. Mm. Um, obviously things changed, but mm -hmm. it, it, was, it, it was a needed mission. It was, it was great that we did it. Mm -hmm. um, but that was our one clear, concise issue we had to do. Now we went out there and pretty much found out that there wasn't really any scud sites. I didn't come across any. There mm. was some in other sectors, but our sector we didn't. But the other follow-on with that was after a couple of days when we hit our, they call them NAIs, named area of interest, and we went and looked at certain spots, mm -hmm. and we would find it. And but then after that, it just turned into basically the commander's intent was to disrupt anybody getting to Baghdad. Mm. Now that's a really broad yeah. thing. And you go, get, go you break get, stuff. You give 12, <laughs> you give a, four Humvees with machine guns yeah. and anti-tank missiles on them yeah. and motivated yeah. the green berets out in the yeah. desert. Just go do stuff. Just go do bad <laughs> stuff and disrupt. It was, yeah. it was a great, but again, I knew what they, they said, Hey, go disrupt. They didn't just say, Hey, go pick a fight. They said, yeah. Nobody gets to withdraw back to Baghdad. So anybody, we were out again on the western side of the country. So a lot of the anti-aircraft and tank units, and, and we saw a lot of anti-aircraft units out in, in my sector initially mm -hmm. in the invasion. They were all trying to shrink back to Baghdad as the invasion came up from the south. Mm. So our job was to, to pretty much stop them mm. if, if we saw them. And, and we saw a lot of them. We stopped a lot of them, got in a lot of gunfights. And um, But again, our commander's intent was clear. It was, he didn't say, the commander didn't have to say, go to Highway 10 and set up an ambush. Yeah. It said, just don't don't let people get back to Baghdad mm. and decisively engage. So you us. could look at the map and go, okay, where are we going? Yeah. What's the best vantage point? It, where um, should we be? Yeah, we even yeah. set up a, a joint combined, three three ODAs, uh, three teams set up a, a long, it was like a 15 mile linear ambush on the same highway. So whatever got through one ODA, mm -hmm. hit the next one, so and like, then hit the man, next one. Man, this is a bad day. It, it, was, it was like, <laughs> I'd get off, I'd get get off that road. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, but again, back to it is, is I keep harping on commander's intent. Even as a, I was a staff sergeant at the time, you know, one of the younger guys on the team, mm -hmm. and and uh, I knew exactly what my job was. Mm. I knew exactly what our, our team's job was. Uh, as a puzzle piece within that whole company's operation, within that whole battalions, within that whole group's operation, mm -hmm. I knew I knew that just simply. If I know a mission, I know what my commander wants me to do—a mission statement—and I know what their intent and what success looks like for them. Mm. I can make anything happen. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have all the all the little nitnoid details. I just know at the end of the day, 
If you tell me to load that truck, you're not telling me what method to do it. You're just telling me get to, at the end of the day, I want to see that truck loaded. Yeah, and that used Roger to be a, that. that used to be a really bad. You'd get so much information in an operations order that you wouldn't important remember the important stuff. Yeah. It's almost like a class. An op order is almost like I'm giving you a class. So I want to make it put it in a way that you'll remember it. I, I want to make sure you remember the really important stuff. Right? Yeah. And commander's intent is really important. I, I remember when I was uh, in the Q course when I was at Robin Sage, <clears throat> and I was a fairly senior. I was an E7, and uh, I'd been the Irish Army. I've been, been around the block. But when we sat down to do the really detailed planning you do for infill at Robin Sage, yeah. um, the officers I had at the time were not super strong in the field type stuff, but they were good at planning, man. They went in and crushed it. And I was like, they, they, they did it in yeah. such a controlled way. I was like, that's it? And they're like, yep, that's it for today. We'll do the rest tomorrow. And I was like, oh, I thought this was going to be like, and it is sometimes, it's like three days straight, no sleep, uh, yeah. trying to figure out every nitinoid detail. And these guys were like, no, here we go. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. That's all we need right now. Let's, let's the, be- The old facts and assumption, um, assumption charts come out. Yeah, and like, yeah. Yourself in the oh face. my God! It yeah. just get, it gets too much, right? But I think it, even with that though, I think we learned over time that mm. you have to do. There's different types of planning. Like everything you do can't be full blown three full days. It, back when I came into in SF, you know, isolation was a big thing. Mm. Okay, you're going to get a mission. They're going to put you in isolation for a week, and mm. all you're going to do is plan. Mm -hmm. And then when combat happened, it was like that never happens. Mm. Really, I mean, yeah. it happens periodically here and there, but mm. rarely uh, are you going to sit down for a week and go. I remember him saying, "You got to be really good at briefing because if you're not good at briefing, you won't get the mission. That you won't get the mission. Yeah. The one mission that's going to come yeah. up. You know." Yeah. Um, and there were teams that did do that. There, or like early in the invasion of Afghanistan, there were there were four or five teams that briefed on a certain mission, but that was only because limited people were going in. Mm -hmm. Once we were putting everybody in, yeah, you know, everybody was getting a mission. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so I'm not saying it was wrong to do. That's that. good to train to a high level, so you yeah. can back it down, right? Exactly. You, if you need to, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. mm -hmm. if you know, if you if you haven't been there and understand what right looks like, yeah. there's no way. I always tell people, you know, everybody wants to be outside the box. Yeah, most people can't even define the corners of the box. They yeah. don't even know what the box is, but they're like, I want to be unconventional. Okay, <laughs> I know. How do you do battle drill one alpha? Yeah, I don't know, you but I want to be unconventional. You have to be conventional before, before you, you can be, be unconventional. You yeah. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah. So uh, you know, people can't even define the sides of the box, and they want to be outside of it, mm -hmm. but. So it's it's very important to do that. And, you know, what I like to bring this back to is just, you know, leadership at smaller levels. I think a lot of, you know, I see, you know, my wife owns a business and, mm -hmm. and you see a lot of businesses and people in different workspaces. And you hear historically there's a problem with leadership anywhere you go, anywhere, anybody I talk to, they, mm -hmm. they, there's issues with leadership. And one of the biggest things I think you can do, like if you're a junior leader, like you're you, you're in charge of two people. You can start building these tasks or building these skills and develop them. People mm -hmm. look at leadership like you either you're either General Patton or you're not. Yeah, and it's not the way it really is. You can be like I was a, not the best leader when I was first in charge of people. Well, I didn't, when you're a junior NCO in the army, you think screaming at people and making them do push-ups is leadership. Exactly, right? that's <laughs> leadership. You know, and but you if you don't but if you don't spend any time, we've both been around leaders who spent mm -hmm. zero time trying to become better leaders. Yeah, it doesn't mean yeah. they didn't move up the chain or they didn't get mm -hmm. promoted. But what it does mean is their subordinates felt the burn on that. Yeah, and it, you can develop your own leadership. You can you can find out ways to communicate because leadership's about communication. I need to communicate with you about what I need from you mm. and the best way that I can support you to get you to that end state, that goal. That's my goal too. Mm. I just need to motivate you to get there and, and explain to you why it's important. Because if you know the why, yeah. you're willing to invest in it more than if I just say, just do it because I'm your boss. Yeah, 
I'm yeah. not following that person. Because I'll follow I, them if yeah. I have to, but not because mm-hmm. I want to. I um, and it's an ongoing process. You never stop. You still. Yeah. I learned every. I learned all the time. Right when I was a team star in SF, right in a freaking SIF company, and I, I had a rock star team. Right, Terry, Stevie, freaking like great guys. Right, so, um, and I I remember I. I was doing everything, right? I was ordering ammo. I was getting ranges. That's the 18 Bravo's job. But yeah. in my head, I was like, let the boys go train and I'll do this because this is this is my piece, right? Well, that was all great until we, we had a range and there was no ammo or no risk assessment or something got dropped. I can't remember what it was exactly. And Terry came to me and he's like, Terry, or he said, hey, this is my job. Why are you doing my job? You know, and I was like, yeah. you're right. You're freaking right. And I I was like, boom, this is all you. And it never got dropped again, yeah. right? And, and I, that was a mistake on my part that I learned the hard way, right? Yeah. Um, you have to be humble as a leader. You do, you if do. If you're in charge of people, you gotta be humble. You gotta, you mm-hmm. can never get to that point where you think you know everything. And yeah. you're just, I, mm-hmm. I say, I've said it before too. If you're the smartest guy in a room, find another room. Yeah, exactly. You gotta surround mm-hmm. yourself with smart people. Mm. And 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 manage those people accordingly to get things done. Mm-hmm. And you should have challenge, better ideas than you have, and you should have challenging mm-hmm. ideas, even if you disagree with them. You have to be humble enough to listen, mm-hmm. think through it, and get your ego aside and go. You know, that's a better way to do it. Yeah. And so I yeah. think I'm going to do it that way. I, I think you hire good people, you give them a good mission, task, and purpose, and you let them loose. Right. And, I, and it's funny because I was talking to Kirsten yesterday, and she's new for yeah. us, and she's been in the police department for twelve years, and she was like, "Well, should I do this and this and this?" And I said, Kirsten, look, I'm here to help you, but I want you to make mistakes leaning forward and not leaning back. Yeah. I want you to push, and and if if something happens and it, it's not the right road, we, we'll we'll back up and we'll go another road. But yeah. don't feel like you have to come to me for everything. I'm I'm here if you want to bounce yeah. stuff off me, but you're you're in a position to make decisions. And that's one of the thing I think young leaders do too is they think that every decision they make has to be perfect. Yeah. And yeah. and I think if you go into leadership with that road, you got to yeah. trust your gut. You got to you got to educate yourself. You got to be be a good leader. But you're going to make mistakes. There yes. is nothing you're going to do. No task you can perform that you're going to do perfect every time. Mm-hmm. The the biggest thing is they're not mistakes if you learn from them and you change and you adjust mm-hmm. and you find a better way to do it. If you yeah. just keep banging your head into that wall, well then you're not learning anything. Yeah. And then it's a mistake. Mm-hmm. But if you keep learning and trying to be better at it, um, you know that's going to make you a better leader 20 years down the road. Cause yeah. you know, I tell people I, I, I took over, I was in the army two years when I became a fire team leader. Mm-hmm. So for 23 years in the army, I was always in charge. I had 25 years in the army, 23 of them. I had subordinates. Yeah. And believe me on year one, you know, specialist Kirkwood mm-hmm. did not make all the best leadership decisions on the planet. Yeah. And neither did master Sergeant Kirkwood. I made yeah. a lot of mistakes there too. You just have to learn to adjust with them. And when you make them, you take it on the chin, you get up, you dust yourself off, and you find a better way to do it. That's the yeah. best way. When I got to, when I left, after I was a first one, I got the first mod. And I was supposed to be doing the weapon stuff. And it was me and another guy, me and one other guy. And I was like, you know what? It's going to be really nice not to be in charge for it, for a change, right? I've been in charge for so long. Yeah. It'd be really cool not to be in charge. So... Then I was there for less than a year, and they're like, "Hey, yeah, you're moving up to the NCIC job." There's the colonel, and I was like, "I don't want it." And he and he said, "Well, you're in the army, so you don't have a choice." Yeah. So, and I was like, "Oh, damn, okay." It's kind of how and, it works. Yeah, um, but when I got there, I was like, "This is gonna be great. I'm not in charge of anybody." You know what I noticed too is good leaders lie to themselves. They tell it. They tell themselves, yeah. like, "Man, I really wish I wasn't in charge. I'd I like to just be another I know. guy." I know. And then as soon as they're in that position, all yeah. they're doing is going, "Man, I do it so much better. I really wish I was in charge." That's true. You know? That is true. Yeah, I do so, like to be. It's the same guy that gets out of you know, like he's like a Delta Force 
Navy SEAL ninja and he gets out and goes, I don't care. I'll just go work at Lowe's. Yeah. No, you won't. No, you're, you're not, not even wired that way, man. <laughs> you are not wired that way to go to Lowe's and be like, yeah, the bolts are down this yeah, aisle. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't last 30 seconds, man. You're yeah. Gonna... All right. So back to the invasion of Iraq. Yep. Because I want to hear stories, man. Three oh, stories. How many, how many vehicles did you engage with javelins? Well, three vehicles and one guard shack. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you hit it? Yeah. It's hard to it's miss, hard to the, miss javelin. the javelin. It I is. Mean, it's funny watching, uh, not funny, but watching what's going on in, in the news today with Ukraine. You hear javelin missile, javelin missile. We were we were getting ready to go in. Uh, and they're, they're a lot. They're like 100 grand mm. around, something mm-hmm. like that. They're, it's yeah. obscene, mm-hmm. you know, government money. Um, but we were getting ready to go in and no, none of us had ever. And javelin was fairly new. I had very limited experience with it. So mm-hmm. I basically had to read a manual. And then like six pallets of javelin missiles showed up in mm-hmm. a, at the FOB we were working out of that Ford operating base in Jordan that mm-hmm. we were training at. And basically every person in my company, like 60 people got to shoot a javelin mm-hmm. missile. Yeah, at like a hundred grand a pop. Wow! I was like, wow. Your tax dollars at work. It was like, man, and it was just like practice. Yeah, you know. And yeah. uh, so we learned on those. We had Stinger missiles. I never shot the Stinger though. Mm. Uh, we had them. We got them. <laughs> the Stinger missiles. We're we're literally waiting to go in. Right. We're we're at the line of departure. Like mm-hmm. like ten miles from the border, our infield point, mm-hmm. waiting on dark. All of a sudden, a truck comes driving up, and they start handing out Stinger missiles. <laughs> now, I hadn't touched a Stinger missile since the Q course. Yeah, and you didn't fire a live one there. And I didn't yeah. fire a live one. Yeah. I did it in the simulator, yep. and I remembered nothing about yeah. it. You might as well have handed me an F-16 and go yeah. fly this. Yeah, Because yeah. I had no idea. The Stinger's, yeah. are, in my mind, I still think, in my mind, it's a complicated weapon system. Maybe it's not. I'm mm-hmm. sure there's some Stinger gunners out there that say it's not. But to me, it was Yeah. It was yeah. like, you know. Yeah, you got to get quantum tone, physics. And then you got a super elevation. Super thing. elevation yeah, and yeah, parts yeah. and buzzing sounds. And, <laughs> and I was like, I was completely confused. So I'm I'm literally sitting there on a tough book laptop trying to figure out how to how to fire this javelin. Like, didn't come in a manual? It didn't. <laughs> we just got like a javelin missile. and they, Or not a javelin, a, a stinger missile, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we strapped it on a truck and I just prayed to God there was going to be no air, fi- air power <laughs> because I was like, they're going to be like, Sean, you're the 18 Bravo, fire that stinger missile. And I'd be like, I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh we drove yeah. around with that thing for you know weeks and it mm. just got those things are kind of delicate mm. and they're really not supposed to be strapped with a bungee strap on the top of a yeah. you know of yeah. a Humvee bouncing through the desert. Yeah. Um but it got destroyed and then they they ended up we had to go to a consolidation point and police them all up and yeah. took them away but Yeah. The javelin <laughs> missile though man, I that weapon system it has a direct attack mm-hmm. and a top attack. Mm-hmm. On a, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much we can talk about, it, but yeah, I won't talk about how it works. But before that, it was the toll. It was yeah. that tube, tube uh, launched, optically guided. Yeah, it had a wire, optically tracked wire. Yeah, it guided. had a wire all the way to the target. Yeah. Like the missile had a wire. Yeah, and you had to direct fly it. Yeah. with the wire. Yeah, and, and the wire would send signals to make adjustments yeah, in the yeah, missile on the yeah, way to the target. Yeah. So you had to watch. You had to stay yeah. on the target. You the did whole time. while all the other tanks shoot back at you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. While you're waiting there, like, all right, any second now, I'm gonna hit that thing. But and with the javelin, you just fire and forget. You just pop it and it goes, and you yeah. drop the you. Take the sight off. They got a yeah. sight on it called a clue. You take it off and, yeah. and drop the tube on the ground. Yeah. But it was funny. The uh, That's all open source stuff. So we're not giving away secrets yeah. here. First, yeah. when I got the fire, we we uh, we got a call on the radio and they had been doing a bunch of bombing. And there was a big Republican guard uh, compound out in the middle of the desert somewhere. Yeah. And they said, hey, you know, your ODA, I need you to go there and check it out. We bombed it last night. We want to see if there's any anything going on. Mm-hmm. So we pull up and we get, we get in line, you know, and there's a, 
it was kind of like a trench line almost. It wasn't it wasn't a dug trench line, but it was like a low area. So we pulled all the vehicles in there and we're being all stealthy. It's first thing in the morning, sun comes up. Mm. We're just sitting there like observing to kind of see. It's all smoking. There's wrecked buildings and saw a couple people here and there, but all of a sudden we see this Toyota pickup truck mm-hmm. just come up like there's a we're looking right at the front gate and we're about six hundred yards back. Sitting there, nobody's looking for us. We're just watching and uh pickup truck comes up like a Toyota Hilux, pulls mm-hmm. up, pulls up to the guard shack, which is right there. Two dudes, man. The war's been going on now. We went in like 48 hours prior. The air war's been going on. The ground forces are starting to invade, and these two dudes show up for their guard shift, man. Mm-hmm. Iraqi. Iraqi. Mm-hmm. Uh, military They're like up. another boring day. They're just like, man, it's a boring day in Iraq. I got, I got the morning shift. It's crap. So they pull up in their truck and they, they get out and they're in uni- they're in uniform, which was kind of weird looking mm-hmm. back on it because later on in the war, you didn't see nobody no. in uniform. Yep. They had Iraqi army uniforms on. Mm-hmm. Pull up and one of the guys had one of them uh, shemags on his head, mm-hmm. you know, but they get out. One guy has- How four, far back are you guys? About 600 yards. Mm-hmm. Um Guy has an AK. Another guy comes in with a PKM machine gun. He sits it inside the shack. One guy goes in. You can't really, I could see the front door, but I couldn't really see. Once he went in, it was too mm-hmm. dark. I couldn't really mm-hmm. see what was going on in there. And the other guy just stood outside on the door and he was just kind of hanging out, started smoking a cigarette. Mm. And uh, the last, the cigarettes will and, kill yeah, you. And, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm sitting, standing next to my chief, my <laughs> warrant officer, who was in my, I was the gunner in his truck. And I was like, chief, you know, it, again, it's funny because it's so yeah. surreal. You're looking at it. And I was like, Hey chief, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot those guys. And he's like, Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, literally, like that was the conversation. I was like, Well, it's enemy combatants. I mean, yeah, it's but I'm kind of like, and he looks, and then what was because we weren't in contact, I was mm-hmm. looking at it like, well, what do I want to use now? <laughs> Wait, I got a Barrett 50 cal on my truck. Yeah. We got machine guns. I was like, I'm gonna shoot a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar javelin at those guys. Yeah. Why not? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I get on the truck and I, I pull the javelin. He's down. like, "Hold my beer." I was right? like, "Hey, y'all, watch this." <laughs> so I pull, I pull, uh, I pull the javelin down. I go over and uh, line up on it, and the guy had, in the front had squatted down, and he's smoking a cigarette. He's like, "Don't yeah. smoke," you know. Yeah. And uh, that that javelin, you know, launch motor kicks it out, and yep. it goes. And it, it kicks, fires off, yeah. and mm-hmm. I fired it where a top attack where it went up and came down on a target. And I'm looking through the sight of that guy, and he looked up, looked up in the air like that, and then boom! Oh, Cigarettes wow. and kill you, man. Yeah. I was like, but now I'm looking back at that. I'm like, wow, I two dudes. Mm. You know, I mean, I but uh, and then what was sixty funny, grand each? Oh, I forgot the best part of that story. The the funny part was our medic, who's a doctor now. Um, the truck was there, so we decided, well, of course, we're going to destroy the truck, yeah. too, right? So he's got a Mark 19 40-millimeter grenade launcher on his truck. Mm-hmm. I say, as soon as I launch a javelin, I want you to engage that truck, just in you know, in case we don't hit them or whatever, they can't get away. So he, as soon as I engaged the truck, I didn't see this, but this is what my partner told me. Mm-hmm. He shot one round out of his Mark 19, and if you're familiar with the Mark 19s, they jam a lot. They do. Especially in Sandy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the kind of conditions we were in. He shot one round, boom, only one round went off. And it was the perfect shot. The truck window was open 600 yards away. And that one round that came out of that gun went right inside the truck and blew up. Damn. Right inside the cab of the truck yeah. and blew up. I, like, would, I wouldn't admit it was that malfunction. I'd just be like, Psh, that's yeah, how you do it. It man. was like a trick shot. I was like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> we had that, those Mark 19s jam a lot, but especially in dirty conditions, Afghanistan and stuff. But we, we were in ambush and the... That it wasn't me, but another Bravo on the on the Mark 19 was shooting and it kept jamming and he had to recharge it, jamming and recharge it. Afterwards, 
a bullet had hit the, the feeder. Yeah. An enemy bullet had hit the feeder and just pushed it in a little bit. And that's what was catching the rounds from feeding into the gun. Uh, every, yeah, wow. That's a bullet that didn't hit the gunner. Right. Yeah, and those before we had chicken that was plates. Before we had shields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we were we were loud and proud back then. We I mean, there was no armor, baseball hat. We we took all <laughs> we took all the doors and windows yeah, out of our Humvee. Yeah. There was no well, up armor. There's, there was there's a balance between mobility yeah. and armor, and I think we've gotten a little crazy with the armor. Uh, and Iraq changed that later on with IEDs. But in the desert, yeah. with the weight of those vehicles, you got to be moving. You got to be mobile. You've got to be able to yeah. get through that sand, and you got to carry a lot of ordnance, right? Yeah, so, we were really mobile. I mean, they they worked well. The, the, the mm-hmm. configuration we had was really good for what we did. Even when we moved into the cities and, mm-hmm. and we started moving in early, because it was before IEDs. Yeah, it didn't start. There's yet. no mm-hmm. way I'm gonna. I would want to run that truck now. No. with no with with IEDs the way they are, mm-hmm. especially when EFPs came on board. Yeah, you had to armor up. You did. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, you just guys weren't surviving. I mean, yeah. Uh, and then we we armored the vehicle so much we tried to turn it into a tank and the yeah. engines failed and, and the we transmission even, we and, even up armored yeah. soldiers so much remember the guys yeah. the poor after guys we see them on bio all the time they walk yeah. around with their neck guards yep. and, the, and the shoulder pads they, they couldn't and, even move yeah I mean I get I, I hear I hear risk. they were inside they had checkpoints inside a controlled base with four other checkpoints before you actually got outside and yeah. armored them. That's the commander who's risk averse, right? Yeah. He wants to cover his ass and the guy's got neck thing on and elbow pads and shoulder pads and knee pads yeah. and, and I pro went out. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, like, it, was, I, I, it was a tough balance. Even yeah. when we had choices in, in, in software, mm. we could wear, you know, uh, there were guys who wore like next to nothing. Mm-hmm. They would wear like barely no armor. Yeah. You know, it was yep. like the, the G string of armor. It was barely yeah. any armor. I like, know. Just yeah. covering like six square inches mm-hmm. on my chest. I, I and there he, were other guys who, who went with more, but. Yeah. I think even in Afghanistan, like if you're in a vehicle, there's no excuse not to be heavy, but have your helmet on yeah. and full armor and all that. Now, if you're maneuvering across the mountains with an indigenous force that's hauling ass, there's a balance there, yeah. right? That's a plate yeah. carrier and maybe a, a bitch helmet, right? But it, it's, it's, you can armor people too much yeah. and you can armor vehicles too that, that's much. That's another funny story is when we, we got in. We this, were totally off the commander's intent we are, subject. We're off of it. We got on this, we got on this fight <clears throat> one time early on and I'm driving on turret. Of course, I'm a cool guy. I got my helmet. I, got, I don't have my helmet on. It's on the turret. I'm driving along, driving along. And uh, we start taking fire, like, mm-hmm. you know, tracer rounds, PCAM. You know, it wasn't a big ambush, but we got hit from a little bit of a distance away. But I remember being up on that 50 cal shooting and the only thought in my head was, I really want to have my helmet on right now <laughs> because I could see the rounds yeah. was skipping, like RPG skipped off the ground and stuff. And yeah, but I, I don't know why, but I was very obsessed. Even though my helmet, I, you take a PKM round yeah. in, in the helmet, yeah. you're, you're still going to get killed. If you get it at an angle, it'll but, deflect But at the time yeah. I was just like, man, it was direct fire coming in. I was like, I really want my helmet yeah, right now. It was like a yeah. movie. It was like a blankie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, back to Commander's Intent. Oh, I mean, man. we have to divert off with war stories because <laughs> it's do. fun, but let's come back to into Commander's Intent. All right. So, you know, again, even with that, the, what all those war stories tie into right. is our commander's intent was to stop Scud missiles from launching early in. Mm-hmm. And it, it evolved over time. But all this other, all these other things that happened, the commander didn't have to reach down. And when he gave us the disrupt, like the story about me engaging a target with the javelin, that guard check, it wasn't like the commander had to come down and give me a briefing that also, by the way, if you see this, I need you mm-hmm. to do his intent was to disrupt. That was disrupting the enemy. The mm-hmm. enemy was trying to command and control. The enemy was trying to go back to daily life as normal. So we disrupted him, mm-hmm. and, and and our commander at the lower level, that captain and that master sergeant at the team level, were allowed to make that decision because mm-hmm. they they understood what what success looked like to that commander, mm-hmm. and that's really what 
con, you know, the, that clear, concise statement is, I, I need to know what your concept is. What do you want from me? Mm. If you're my boss, what, what's going to make you happy at the end of the day? And what do you define as success? Mm-hmm. Because what I define as success and what you define as success may be two different things. Mm. You know, if I'm a young guy, I'm a private carrying a saw gunner. My definition of success is just living through it. Mm. But you have a mission to accomplish. You have, you have a uh, criteria that you need to meet. So you need to communicate that to your subordinates all the way down to the lowest level. Mm-hmm. Don't you love those movies too, where the sniper is waiting for clearance from the commander to take the shot? Never happened, happened once. Yeah, or, or the yeah. smoky room with the CIA, the, the CD CIA guy hands you a dossier <laughs> with a guy's face on it. Yeah, Phil. Yeah. Twenty six other guys have yeah. tried, but you're, you're the you're, one. You're, you retired five years ago, but you're the only one <laughs> that could do this mission. What a terrible army, you know? <laughs> hey, we had to pull you out of retirement. That to sounds go. like a recruiting problem. <laughs> Yeah, oh, we can't even watch war movies. God, the movie so obnoxious. <laughs> All right, um, let's wrap it up. Do me a favor, wrap up Commander's Intent real quick for people who like drifted off while we were telling war stories. Yeah, uh, describe to your people what you define as success. They need to know what you think success looks like. If they, if they don't know, they can't. They're going to base their decisions on how they plan and how they conduct whatever mission or task that you want them to do based off of what your intent is. What does my what does my leader want at the end of this? What what do they define as success? So that basically wrap it up. Wraps mm-hmm. it up. If you got to go in depth, give them some key tasks that need to be accomplished so they can accomplish that mission. Mm-hmm. Hey, I need you to do A, B, and C to accomplish this end state. That's what it is. Be clear with your subordinates. Make mm-hmm. sure they know what you want. Don't think they can read your mind because they can't. Mm-hmm. Make sure they understand what you need and what success looks like and they're gonna they're gonna work for you and they're gonna do they're gonna get the mission accomplished for you. Perfect. Love it. That was easy, right? Super easy. Psh, we're good at Till this. Till the next time. <laughs> <laughs> Till the next time, stay alert, stay alive. <laughs>